Dude, can you believe it's our last show of the season? Yeah, and we've done over 50 shows, counting shorts, over the past three years. That's crazy. Just like us. Hi, I'm Clint. And I'm Chad. And this is Schooled Ya. It's the podcast made by teachers for teachers. Brought to you by two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about the American education system. We hope this episode brings you some joy, like a golden toasted marshmallow from your backyard campfire. Smashed between two grams and some chocolate. Oh yeah. Dude, I can't believe we've done over 50 episodes. I can't believe we're still in lockdown. I miss outside. Yeah. Outside was nice. And it's kind of crazy that we've come to the end of another school year, or at least the end of three quarters of a school year and then (laughs) one quarter of some other thing. Yeah, that one quarter was so weird, man. But let's try to celebrate it a little. What are a couple things we learned both about school and our lives from this whole experience that brought us some joy? I'll only share if I can also talk about a couple of things that sucked too. Yeah, that actually sounds more fun. <laughs> okay. I'll go first. School-wise, let me talk about the the good thing first. And, and I'm kind of thinking of things that maybe are a little bit less obvious or things that I wouldn't have anticipated prior to the lockdown happening. Um, I physically felt really good good uh, over the last three months. And I really attributed that a lot to kind of not going through the physical exhaustion of teaching. You know, I can't think of a time in the last two months where I've been just, you know, exhausted at 3.30 in the afternoon. I've definitely slept better. (laughs) I don't know if this is sharing too much, but I find a lot of times during the school year, like I'll have a lot of stomach aches and things like that. I think a lot of that's connected to just the the grind of the school day. I think that's been definitely a positive that I don't know if I would have anticipated prior because I didn't know that maybe some of that was being caused by by being at school and and at work. Um, The one negative is when this thing was first starting, I really thought I had a solid, solid plan for connecting with my kids through social media, through Instagram and and Facebook and and, and YouTube. And um, that was just like a total failure, (laughs) at least from my perspective. I was telling my wife that this morning. She's like, no, I don't think it was as bad as you thought. But like, I really anticipated, and and I think I maybe have shared this in in previous episodes during this, this lockdown, that like, the one thing that I think I'm best at is like my relationship with kids and connecting and kind of using my personality to get them to buy into what we're doing. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to parlay this into things that kids are into and try to get on social media and, and teach that way and connect with kids that way. And it's just like, it just didn't work. And I don't know (laughs) if it was something I was doing or if it was just like, you know, I don't know if Instagram is already like past what our kids are into. Maybe I should have aimed for TikTok or if just kids didn't want to do math that way. But I actually ended up kind of just dropping all of that and focusing my time in other areas. So that was one, that was one big fail for me. Uh, What about you, man? Well, my son uh, was a senior this year and uh, he graduated. Woo! Good job, Ty. And uh, with that graduation came kind of this virtual graduation that we got to do. And it wasn't just an online ceremony. In fact, we didn't even watch the video that our school put together. What we did do, though, that he really liked and we thought was great was we went in and he got to walk across the stage at our school and get a handshake, a gloved handshake from the principal and take pictures and whatever and had his name read and got his diploma in his cap and gown and all that stuff when we got to take a bunch of pictures. And they had just a really good little system where you kind of went in and you waited in this waiting room until your time was up and then you went out there and it was only one family at a time in the auditorium. And it was just a really great experience. I got to also work on the other end of that and kind of greet kids and bring them through the system and help them get where they needed to go. And it was it was kind of a, a fun way of doing graduation. I thought much more intimate and personal than doing it 
in the big mass way that we normally do. So that was surprising. I really did not expect that to be good. It was awesome, though. The bad thing that I kind of expected but didn't realize just how much I needed it is the parking lot at my school. The main reason for the parking lot is that my friends and I will get our work done at the end of the day and then we all walk out together and then we end up spending 15 to 20 minutes standing in the parking lot talking. And just having that ability to interact with other people that are, yes, my work colleagues, but also my friends. We went and cleaned out our rooms and then we ended up doing our daily <laughs> parking lot ritual. And oh my gosh, I I felt so much better after that, like just being able to kind of unload some of the frustrations. Like social media is great and all, but communicating only through texting is not my favorite. That was something that was disappointing to not have. I'm glad that in the years ahead, we will be getting back to it. So uh, what are some what are some positive things just from life during this lockdown? As with many, many people in the country right now, we've done a million different um, home improvement things. So just a little backstory. When my wife and I bought our house like 13 years ago, there's one room that's clearly a dining room, but we didn't have any kids. It was just the two of us. We like didn't use our dining room for like a year. So we decided to kind of convert that into like a second sitting room. Now we have three kids and we still had never had a proper dining room. For the last few years, we kind of kept saying like, we really need to get back to having a dining room table and a, a true proper dining room. So we finally have a proper dining room again. What's really cool is I actually built the dining room table. I, I used a big piece of uh, live edge slab and got some metal table legs and stuff. So it's really cool. But it's amazing to me how much it has changed our day-to-day -day interaction. I mean, we, we have sat at that dinner table every dinner for the last probably two months and and there's just something about sitting around a table as a family and just the dialogue that we have and the, the the games that we play and all kinds of stuff. So that's been really cool. But the bad thing that I am shocked about, because when this all started, the one thing I remember saying to myself is, well, the house will be clean. We'll finally have time to like always clean up the kitchen. The house is going to be tidy. You're laughing because I'm guessing you're in the same boat. I, our house is so messy right now. And yeah. part of it is because like we're kind of in project mode. It's like our house has kind of been a construction zone for the last three months. You know, someone reminded me the other day, they said, yeah, but it's 100% being lived in right now. And you're not out of it ever. And so it's really hard to keep things clean when you're constantly living in it. On top of that, we don't ever have people coming over. So there's not really the, the need to tidy up because we're having guests. <laughs> so that's probably too. Back when this kind of started, we talked about some things that we wanted to do with our time. And we set some goals. And for once in my life, I think, I, I set goals <laughs> and then actually followed through. I am taking a Shakespeare class online. And I also bought myself a little car. It's a 2003 Toyota Celica. And I'm learning how to fix it. It's been a lot of fun. So that's been pretty exciting to actually, you know, set some goals and then, and then follow through. The negative thing is we had a big plan to go to a family reunion and go back to Oregon and visit a bunch of people and possibly even do like a live recording of our of this show and all this other stuff and all of that of course because of COVID-19 has had to be canceled and that has been a real bummer. Hopefully we'll be able to figure out some stuff but it has been kind of a pain to to not have uh, you know, a big trip to look forward to this this summer. Well, at least you got that car to, to work on, so that'll be fun. That's true. All right, well, that was fun. Now let's hear a word from our sponsor. This week's episode of Schooled Ya is brought to you by PencilMate. Ninth graders are distinctly irresponsible creatures. They forget binders, homework, due dates, projects, paper, everything. But the number one item students forget on a daily basis is their pencil. 
A large percentage of a teacher's salary and life is spent procuring pencils for their pupils. Until now, we at PencilMate have teamed up with the good folks at the Roslam Institute, who cloned Molly the Sheep back in the mid-90s, and finally put that technology to good use, breeding pencils. By placing two pencils into our specially designed pencil cup, overnight your two pencils will multiply into 20 or more new number twos. Gone are the days of scouring the halls for old drop pencils. With the PencilMate breeding cup, you'll have more pencils than you can handle. PencilMate, let's get it on. It is recommended you wash pencils before use. Welcome back. You know, it would be silly for us to not comment on the other big thing that's happening in the world right now, the Black Lives Matter protests in response to the police killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and countless others. Yeah, the world feels like it's on fire right now, and I think it's fair to say that for most of us, this has been a real-life, teachable moment. And while we are, let's admit it, a couple of white guys with little to no firsthand experience in what it would be like to go through life as a racial minority— we will be entering our classrooms next year in a world that is completely different than it was last year. Our students will be coming out of social isolation, having been bombarded with violent videos and messages of both hate and love from social media, and we will be asked to help them make sense of it all, while also teaching our regular curriculums. And while some of you might be thinking, I teach math, race doesn't come into play in my classroom, we suggest you take the summer to do some studying to see what you can do to help your school and your classroom become anti-racist. So that's what we're going to talk about for a bit today, how we personally are planning on improving our teaching to meet the challenges ahead. So the first thing that I have listed is confronting our own biases. We've all got these implicit biases based on the society that we grew up in, the way that our parents raised us or the media that we've consumed. And much of that gives people a negative view of certain types of people and a positive view of other types of people. I didn't know about implicit bias for a really long time, but uh, I learned about it a few years ago and I took an online implicit bias test. And if you search implicit bias test on uh, from Harvard, you can find this thing that shows you images of different faces and then it has words on the other half of the screen that say different kinds of emotions. And your job is to push buttons depending on whether or not the emotions are positive or negative. And the idea is it takes you a little bit longer to push that it's a positive emotion when it's paired with a face that you might have a bias against. And it's all within like microseconds. So it, you might not feel like there's a big difference, uh, but the computer can kind of tell, and it will give you a baseline of where your biases are. And I think that just taking a test like that and kind of recognizing, oh, I didn't realize that I had this way of thinking. One of the things that I discovered is even though I'm a fairly, I would have argued at the time, a fairly uh, woke individual who thought all the correct things I thought about social justice and all that kind of stuff, I found that I was actually pretty heavily implicitly biased because of you know the 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 media that I grew up around and the fact that I lived in in a small town in Oregon where there were very few people who didn't look like me so even though I feel like I intellectually and in the conscious part of my mind I'm pretty open-minded and I try to do what's what's right the implicit bias that I carry really dictates a lot of the decisions I make the more that I'm able to recognize that the easier it is to notice it in the moment and then be able to work on correcting it I appreciate that you took this I I, I have the, the link here in our notes that we're using I'm going to do it as soon as we're done recording but I think it's really important 
for people to ad- address their biases. I think there's a perception, or at least there has been, that to admit that you have a bias is almost the same as admitting that you are racist. And and to really address that, yes, as privileged white people, that we have biases that we need to address and to confront and to f- and to figure out ways to to remedy is a starting point to kind of uh, to kind of sweep it under the rug and be like, hey, I'm not racist or, you know, I have a black friend or, you know, whatever those kind of excuses are is really not addressing the, the reality that, you know, we all have these and, and it's a starting point for us. Uh, once you admit a problem, it's kind of like being an alcoholic. Admitting that you have a problem is the first step. And then once you kind of go, OK, yeah, this is a thing that I struggle with then you are able to start taking the steps to move forward because otherwise you're not you're not going to take any steps if you don't actually think you have a problem. What I'm seeing a lot right now in terms of like communication from the black community as, as particularly to white people is really pushing that fact that if you're burying your head in the sand and saying, "Well, I don't have a problem, then we are not making things better. And that seems to be kind of one of the biggest issues right now that we're dealing with in this country is this underlying bias, not by the overtly racist people, not by the KKK and these anti-Semite groups and all these other things, but it's by good people who think they're doing the right thing and think that they're unbiased that are still creating this level of suppression that is unintentional and that is that is just part of our fabric of our society right now. And as we are able to confront those things, then we can start to take a more critical eye to look at the diversity of our curriculum. That's relatively easy for an English teacher because I can look and say, okay, well, I'm going to stop teaching, you know, Heart of Darkness all about white people going into Africa and becoming savages and instead I'll teach things fall apart which is uh, it's from the African perspective of what it was like to exist in Africa before there were any white folks around and then the colonists show up and things you know change and so that's pretty easy to like do a little swap and you still can teach the same like standards that you're supposed to be covering but I think that it's it goes beyond that I think that uh, understanding the way that you word your questions, the way that you you know work with your kids on the different topics at hand, uh, trying to make sure that you are covering your bases to to get as much uh, diversity of of thought as possible. Um, I don't know how how best to do that when you're talking about things like uh, like math and science, uh, but maybe you've got some ideas there. One of the things that you know you talk about learning more and and really educating yourself and and at this point that's kind of what I want to spend my summer doing is addressing where where are the problems first of all like if it's looking at our curriculum or how I'm delivering instruction or how I'm communicating with people because it would not be uncommon for me to have very few black students and so. It, it's more about how do I address my curriculum in a way that is teaching our, our white students to have less of that bias. And I think that, that that is a big part of it, not just how do we best connect with people of color, but also how do we help teach our white students to not think that their way of seeing the world is the only way of seeing the world, kind of the way that we were brought up. And I think I think that's kind of the big turning point that I'm seeing right now is saying, well, this is the way I was raised. It's definitely not been an excuse, a good excuse for a long, long time. But not getting it is is no longer going to be acceptable. Like we have to understand this uh, in order to move forward. I think that I need to personally confront the environment of my classroom, like the way I have it decorated, the kind of the feel that you get when you walk in. 
I always wanted my classroom to be this comfortable place where people, kids could walk in and be like, oh, this feels kind of nice. Like it, it's a more relaxing vibe. I think I have that to an extent and I definitely have that for certain students, but I don't have it for everybody. And I think that I need to confront kind of the diversity of viewpoints and start putting up some stuff that maybe reflects more of the student body that I have. It worked great for my predominantly white kids in Astoria. It does not work as well when the only, uh, like I've got several musician posters up on the walls and the only one that has anybody that is African-American is Sugar Ray. <laughs> it's got one black guy. <laughs> so like Wait, you, I hold have, on. You have a you have a Sugar Ray poster in your room? Yeah, I have a former student that uh that gave it to me and said you have to put this up in the classroom to okay. remember me. And got so it. I have that. Yeah. It's, Thank you. They're, Sorry. They're all I... hanging out together rolling a big foam die. So, <gasps> so cool. That's cool. You know, that's a thing that uh I need to start getting some other stuff up on the walls and and not having it be such a kind of monoculture. To kind of wrap this thing up, I think the other thing that we need to anticipate learning how to de-escalate the inevitable conflict that uh, we may see in a classroom. And I think also African-American kids are disciplined differently than white kids. And in my particular school, you can you can see that in the statistics, how many more kids get sent out, how many more kids get um, sent home as a result of their behaviors. And sometimes you could have two kids, you know, from similar economic backgrounds have similar behaviors and they may have two very dissimilar outcomes. And I think a lot of that, um, like the, the beginning behavior is about the same, but the way that the teacher reacts to that behavior can be very, very different. And I think that that has also a lot to do with our first point of being able to confront our own biases and understand why maybe our, our hackles get up more when a certain person acts out than when another one does. So I think being able to get some training in the schools uh, possibly seek that out on our own, do some learning on how de-escalation techniques can work and work for folks of different cultures so that we can treat everybody with respect and not have so many kids going out of our rooms, not have so many kids getting caught up in the discipline system. As much as I, I know that I try not to, uh, I know that there are times when those biases slip through and I don't treat everybody equally. And that's a thing that I definitely need to work on, especially if I continue to work in an environment that has has such a broad range of cultures to to draw from. And I think if we are able to do that as teachers, the way we deal with the very small issues that then can blow up into the bigger issues, then we're going to be able to get a handle on some of the statistical issues that confront our schools. I do also want to just address this, that in my community, we, we certainly do have a higher percentage of Hispanic culture and families in our schools. And as we have this conversation, everything we are talking about right now applies to, you know, any sort of racial diversity. And I, I definitely think as we've talked about our classroom setup and the way we teach and our curriculum and our biases and everything else, that needs to be addressed, obviously, for, for that community as well as any other ethnic minority. I didn't bring that up much in today's conversation simply because I really want to address what we're seeing right now as a country in terms of Black Lives Matter and what the, the kind of the pressing issue is. But that doesn't undermine the fact that all of these things that we've talked about really need to be addressed with every culture and, and every minority. 
Absolutely. And I think that that as it is Pride Month right now, we should also take in mind that uh, we've got a lot of gender discrimination and discrimination against the LGBT plus community. And we need to kind of apply all of those things that we've been talking about to those kids, too, because they are just as likely uh, and in some cases maybe even more likely to be discriminated against by their peers and by teachers and and the environment around them. So um, just looking out for everybody and trying to be as equitable as possible and uh, just making sure that we understand why we're doing what we're doing. Well said. Well, that was pretty heavy. Uh, I think the more uh, we as educators are able to and willing to talk about our own issues with race, the better we can move forward with a more equitable education system. And let's take another break. Hey, school, you listeners. This is Chad, co-host of the podcast. And if you're like me, especially during this time of year, I bet you're having those crazy teacher dreams. I used to be like that, always having dreams that I come to class in my undies or my teeth were falling out during a formal observation. That was until I got a Clasper mattress. Yeah, they're really cool. I ordered my Clasper online. A few days later, a big box shows up on my doorstep. And in just a few minutes, my Clasper is set up and ready for sleep. The folks at Clasper use some pretty crazy subliminal hypnosis or something like that that I don't understand, but it sure works. Since getting my Clasper, I've slept like a baby with no more teacher dreams. It's great. So give Clasper a try. Find them online and use our promo code SCHOOLEDYA for a free set of dry erase markers. Check it out. Clasper, have an A-plus night. And welcome back. It's now time for our favorite segment of the show. Wait, what? It's our opportunity to talk about whatever we can't get out of our heads. Today, we're talking about a few of our favorite moments from the past 50-plus episodes. That is too many episodes. It is. How did we even get to this point? I don't know. One of my very favorite things is way back in the first season, uh, we had kind of a series of telling embarrassing stories about ourselves. And I'm just going to play a couple of clips from that. Um, My personal favorite story is the one that I told about the... um, the f- fly on my uh, corduroy <laughs> pants. Your lucky jeans. So I wore these pants all the time, but one pair in particular had a really unfortunate defect. Okay. Uh, and that was that the zipper would very, very slowly creep down throughout the day. <laughs> oh, it's a slow creeper. It's a slow creeper, right. So I had this kid in class that I had told she couldn't use the restroom because she hadn't done any work that day. And I was like, well, once you get some things done, then you can go. Sure. A little while later, I noticed that lots of the kids in the class were kind of staring at me <laughs> and giggling. And that's never a good thing. No, it's not. It's not good. So the bathroom girl was sitting kind of back in her chair with her arms folded, and she had this smug little smirk on her face. Uh And I was like, oh, what is going on? And then I remembered what pants I was wearing. (laughs) Oh, yes. And I had this mild panic attack because I knew an important fact about Lucky Brand jeans and other pants that I have not mentioned until now. Right. That is, every pair of pants has sewn into the fly a bright red patch that reads, Lucky you. So I looked down and saw that red patch glowing like a beacon, drawing the (laughs) eye of all the kids who even glanced at me. Their eye would just be drawn straight down to the zipper. And so I, of course, was turning just as red as this, and I zipped up, and the class erupted into hysterical laughter, except for bathroom girl, who looked at me and said, it's been down for 10 minutes. And I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me? And she said, no bathroom, 
no help. And it gets worse. Wow. Because I said, well, just just go. Because I was I didn't want to look at her. I didn't want to deal with it. I was so embarrassed. So she gets up and walks across the room, gets the pass, and then she turns around and looks at me and goes, Lucky me. <laughs> and then walked out in the class. Yeah. Stupid lucky. Okay. So another one of my very favorite things was uh, from this season. Chad's whole episode about the math games presentations, which as an English teacher, uh, I was super jealous because in English, there's not a ton of games you can play, but it did make me think a little differently about my profession and ways to uh, encourage kids to get more involved in what we're doing. And honestly, over the pandemic, during the videos that I made, I would put in little game breaks. Oh, uh, nice. So the kids could play around with words and do some things that were fun and, and interactive. And uh, I probably wouldn't have done that without this podcast and without your influence. So thank you for that, Chad. Cool, man. And then the last thing for me that has been a big deal is just the fact that I get to talk to my friend. Oh. I know. It's super cheesy. But I am a bad friend in many, many ways. But one of the ways that I'm a bad friend is that I tend to move away from someplace or not see those people anymore and then never, ever talk to them. That's your worst And trip. this has forced me to be a decent person and and keep in contact with somebody from, from my old work. So that has been probably my very favorite part of this whole thing. Just the fact that every couple of weeks we are forced to sit down <laughs> and have a phone call and talk about things together. It, it's really uh, It's really made me very, very happy. So thank you, Chad, for coming up with this whole thing. I have to tell you, I, I get to brag to a lot of people at my school too, who know you and worked with you. It's like I kind of name drop a celebrity. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, oh yeah, I talked to Clint today or something. And people kind of are like, oh, so uh, I feel pretty lucky about that too. <sighs> oh man, 50 episodes. So here are some things that came to my mind. First of all, we were probably about two months into our first season and this was right when the school shooting happened in Parkland. And, you know, it, there were some similarities to what's happening now, probably on a little bit smaller scale at the time. But it felt very big then uh, where there was a lot of student protests happening, a lot of uh, marches. And there was the big march in D.C. You contacted me and said, I really think we need to address this. I really want to do a, a piece about this and, and, and what our role is as teachers in the classroom and supporting our kids. And it was just an interesting time because I was on it was. It was uh, spring break for us, and I was on vacation with my family, and you just really felt like it needed to get out, you know, in a in a timely manner so that it was really addressing a current issue. And uh, you kind of wrote up a little intro for me to read, and I remember recording it on the hotel bed uh, with my entire family watching into my iPhone. But the piece you wrote was really awesome. And, uh, and I actually just listened to it yesterday. If you haven't listened to that in a while, you should. It's very good. Oh, thank you. So that, that was a really cool memory. You know, um, this whole process has really helped me become more comfortable with both my voice, uh, like, like literally my voice, uh, not, not metaphorically, uh, but, but actually like the sound of my voice and also just becoming more comfortable with my words. I remember our first episode where <laughs> I think the amount of editing you had to do was way more than now because uh, <laughs> just using 20 words when only five would do and, and those kind of things. I've become more aware of just being more articulate in my, my own speaking. I don't know. Listeners are probably like, I don't know, Chad, you still kind of ramble. But I found <laughs> that that is that has carried over into just conversations I have with staff or at school or with anybody else. I've gotten better at being more aware, being more specific with, with the words that I use. And I think I really attribute that a lot to doing this podcast. And then last for me, and this is, it also kind of dovetails off just getting to talk to you, but I love the whole planning process 
of doing this podcast. It always starts with you and I sending lots and lots of text messages back and forth. <laughs> you know, I, I think about when you hear about comedians and how they get their material just from like their day to day life, but something happens and like the first thing they think is that that's got to be a piece of my my set. And I think of that a lot as, and when something happens, I'll go jot it down or I'll think, oh, this could be a piece on our podcast. And just that whole process has been a lot of fun. And then lastly, uh, I know we haven't really re done many this year, but when we first started coming up with the ads and the, um, <laughs> the, the you know, it's kind of just that like, man, in a perfect world, what, what would make my life easier? And then coming up with some fictitious, fake, uh, unrealistic ad for that was a lot of fun. So those have been some of my highlights for sure. Well, it's been a lot of fun putting these things together for the past 50 episodes, and hopefully we'll get to 100. But we're at the end of this episode, and we're at the end of this season. Uh, so this is your last chance. If you want to share how you're planning on taking some of the momentum from the Black Lives Matter movement into your own classroom, please send us an email to let us know. You can contact us at schooljapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Astoria. You can also find me on Instagram at my new handle, at schoolsoutworkshop. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. And don't forget about our website, schooldupod.com. And remember, all our sponsors are fake. As always, a big shout out to my wife, Nikki, for our wonderful theme song. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And don't forget to give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Or, if that seems too hard, tell a friend to listen. Or, you could get a bunch of fireworks and spell out SCHOOLJA in the sky. Yeah, pretty sure that's going to start a giant wildfire. 2020 strikes again. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you soon. Unless we catch COVID. Oh, good stuff.